Right? Amen. Hey, you guys could grab a seat, get settled in, but let's be honest, like this is all about Jesus, right? Oh, that makes me so concerned. <laughs> hey, this is all about Jesus. I won't ask you like a question. If, um, if you, you know, if you came in and you had a cup of coffee and you sat down somewhere comfortable and somewhere said hi to you and, and you felt good because you recognized someone and, and you sang a song you liked and if any words come out that you like, you know what? None of it matters because it's all about Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? What a great song. Yeah, I, I'm a back row guy. Uh, I'm just telling you, it's weird for me to have to sit in the front row because it takes me too long to get up to the front. And uh, one thing that you miss in the back row is everybody singing into you. When you sit in the front, everybody sings into you. It's something very cool hearing a bunch of people singing about let it be, let it be Jesus. Anything else that happens this morning is like just icing on the cupcake, Right? Let's pray and go home. That's all I wanted to say. No, I'm kidding. Because uh, some people will kill me right now. Hey, uh, books are going by right now, and I know that they've already passed a lot of you. If you missed it, feel free to holler at the person and say, hey, I need that back. Uh, we would love it if you'd put your name in there. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's your first time here at North Point. Hi, my name is Chris. We're really glad you're here. Glad you showed up. Glad you, you, you I know you passed other churches to get here. You probably ran over some ice at some point. So thanks for doing that. We're glad you're here with us. We'd love it if you could get your name in that book. And uh, that way we'll just uh, do nothing weird, just send you a little note thanking you for visiting with us. It'll be good. So also right now our offering is going by. If, uh, if you consider North Point your home, I encourage you to participate in that. One of the cool things that I get to do um, that, that we don't, we, we try to figure out ways to share it. We try to do the best we can. But kind of me getting to work here, I get to see where uh, the, the dollars you put into that bucket go on a regular basis. That's very cool. I'm just saying it's a really cool thing to see how God works through your offerings. It's a very, very cool thing. And we try and communicate that out and share with you what God's doing, but it is impossible to share everything that God is doing. It's just impossible. So just cool, cool stuff. I'm just, I'm just sharing that. That's not this morning. We're not talking about that, but that's where my brain is this morning. So thank you for that. Are we ready? Uh, we're going to be in Philippians at some point today, but I just wanted to start by telling you where I'm at. I just, maybe this is like a true confessions moment here. Um, I, I'm in a really weird season of life. I have a 17-year-old daughter. Some of you know, can understand that, right? This is great because she's not sitting in here this morning, so I don't have to pull any punches. I'm kidding. She'll listen to the tapes, and I'll have to pay her later. Um, 17 years ago, we had this little uh, kid. This little kid was born like nine weeks early. She was four pounds and something, and we thought we are too young to have kids. What is God doing? And so this baby comes, and we had these dreams for her. Like she would get out of neonatal intensive care unit. <laughs> Little dreams like that, right? And then, and then they said, you're going to take her home. And we thought, oh, man. And we had dreams for her like she would eat and live. <laughs> Little dreams like that. And then that little kid begins to grow. Are you with me? Like, can you remember this? Your story maybe is a little different, maybe it's exactly the same, but like, you can identify, right? This little baby starts to grow, and there comes this weird day where you take this little tiny girl that you love so much, and you put her in this new shirt, and these, it's California, so shorts, and, uh, and, and uh, she's got a backpack that's twice the size of her, right? And you take her to this place that in no way could love her as much as I could ever love her. They call it school. And, uh, and they line them all out. I got this picture in my head. They line them all out in front of this room so the parents don't go in because they know we'll never leave. And they say, they say, okay, say goodbye to your mommy and daddies. And some of them are crying. Do you remember this, this moment? 
Some are trying and some are like, get me in, I'm so tired of my dad or whatever, right? And so that happens and they go in and then the days go on and the years go by and, and mine is 17 now. And so we're in this season of trying to figure out uh, uh, what's next. Because see, for 17 years, we've had these like dreams for Rebecca. Like we've had dreams about what she would do and what she would be like and what her character would be and the hobbies that she'd be involved in and the, uh, the athletics that she would never quite uh, get because she has her dad's athleticism. And, uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's been fun. And now it all changes because the season we're in is all about helping her figure out her dreams. You know what I'm saying? And so Rebecca has this dream. She says, I want to go to Christian college. And so we go, okay, so we start figuring out what that means. Like, how do you afford that? And, and where do you go? And, and uh, so we start visiting these colleges. And if I eat one more lunch on a college campus, like I've done that, I'm done with those days. It's not because it's bad, it's because I pile my plate from the 12 different places. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so we go and we visit these Christian colleges and we're thinking this is cool. So she's thinking, she's got it kind of narrowed down to a couple of colleges and we're trying to help her think, what's your dream here? Where, are you, where do you dream about going? And, and then Rebecca has this dream of, of being a, a psychologist. And, and my friend last week was saying it's because I'm so screwed up that, you know, she's got to figure out what's wrong with me. That might be true. I don't know. She has this dream about being the psychologist. And so we're trying to look for schools that have a good psychology program, Christian schools that figure out how to marry the, the truth of who Jesus is and the reality of the scriptures with this discipline of psychology and helping under, uh, people understand some of the deepest pieces of themselves. And so she has this dream about being a psychologist. We're trying to figure out, okay, what does that look like? What does that, that mean? Becca has this dream, apparently, of meeting a boy at some point. Yeah. Apparently, this boy is going to replace my role in her life. And he's going to be the, the man for her. She's going to get married and maybe have kids if, if God has that for her. And so, and so she has this dream, and I think, man, how do I hedge my bet? that she marries a guy that loves Jesus way more than I do and, and will treat her way better than I ever could. And, and, and we think that Christian college, maybe, maybe there's a win in that for us. And so she has this dream about marrying uh, a guy and maybe having a family. Like, like, this is a season of dreams for us. And it's not our dreams for Becca anymore. It's really trying to help her understand what are her dreams and how do we figure them out. Can you relate to this? Like, like, just by show of hands, how many of you guys have launched a kid into life? I just want to know that I can make it. I appreciate that. That makes me feel better about myself, okay? So I know it can be done, and I know who to go to to grab a cup of whatever coffee with and, uh, and talk this through. But if you haven't launched a kid into life, if you have kids, you, you, this makes sense to you, right? You've got dreams for them. Or if you don't have kids and, and, and you just know that you yourself you had dreams for yourself and you have dreams for yourself. Do you remember what it's like being 17? Can you think back that far? Some of you, I know it's a little harder. You need to dust some cobwebs off. It was a long time ago for me. You remember what it was like? And the world is your, your oyster, and you're going to take the bull by the horns, and you're just like, ah, right? And you have all these dreams about how you're going to change the world. Isn't that cool? Like, we're in this season of dreams right now, man. We're trying to figure out what does this look like for a 17-year-old girl transplant from California to Michigan? What does this look like? What are her dreams and how do we help with that? And we get this because we all have lived this kind of a life where we've had dreams and we're figuring out dreams. And some of you maybe are still in the season of dreams. and Maybe you're 77 years old and you still have dreams. That's an amazing thing. Someone's laughing back there. I don't know what that is. <laughs> She's nudging her husband. Yeah, you. Anyways, awesome dreams, right? Remember these dreams? So it's interesting because Paul, 
Paul, the, the, the apostle, Paul that wrote most of the New Testament, Paul that had this amazing conversion experience because he met up with Jesus Christ on a road one day. He was just trying to go from here to there, and Jesus showed up and wrecked his world. Paul writes most of the New Testament, and this Paul has these dreams for a church that he planted. And he communicates these dreams for this church. We call it the book of Philippians because the church was in a city called Philippi. The people that lived there would have been called Philippians. This makes some sense, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking through as we talk about this concept of living the dream. This makes sense to us. We have dreams. We have hopes. We have all these aspirations. Paul was no different for this church that he planted. Now, it's interesting because it's a really, really strange church. And this church is made up of all different kinds of people. You've got to think about this, uh, this ex-former hippie fortune teller, this high-powered saleswoman, an ex-MMA fighter, and a prison guard. That's a weird place to show up to, right? <laughs> You're not so sure what's going to happen on Sunday mornings. Right? And, and this is Paul's church. And so Paul begins to think about them, and he communicates to them in this book of Philippians, this letter that he writes to him. He communicates that he's been praying for them. He says, man, I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying that you're pure and blameless. I've just got this prayer for you. I've got this dream for you. I'm so excited. And he communicates to them how excited he is for them and how happy they're making him because they're really living out this dream that Paul has for them. And he communicates, says, guys, we are, I'm so excited about all this stuff that I see you doing. You're just doing it right. I'm so excited. And so Paul continues on to communicate this dream for him, for them, for the church, the individuals there, for that ex-MMA fighter, <laughs> for that prison guard, for the ex-hippie tarot card reader, teenage girl, whatever she was, right? Paul says, I got these dreams for you. And it's interesting because these dreams that Paul has for this church in Philippi, I think it's the same exact dreams that Jesus has for Rebecca and for me and for you. And so that's where we are this morning, Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, it'd be great if you see it. I'm going to read from the NIV, the New International Version this morning. That doesn't really matter other than if you're using a, a Bible in the pew, the wording might be a little different. That's okay. No big deal. You'll be able to follow along. If you have an electronic version, you can punch NIV really easy and that'll pop it up. It'll be pretty close. We're also going to put the verses on the screen just because I don't want to make it tougher on you than it needs to be. But Philippians chapter 2 is where we kind of jump into the story of Paul having this dream for this church. And we start in verse 1. Are you with me? It says this, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. We'll just pause there for a second because, because there's this word that it starts with, this word therefore. Therefore is a huge word. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, like you got to stop. It's a sign that says stop and pay attention to what just happened. Something important just happened and we want to remind you of it. And, and, and really, it's everything that we just said already, that Paul is so encouraged with this church, that Paul's got this dream for this church, that, that Paul is just excited about what God is doing with these crazy, strange people in this church in a town called Philippi. Paul says, man, I'm so excited about you guys because there's this dream that you're there. And it's not a Roman dream or a Greek dream. It's not the American dream. It's not the parent dream or the dream of success or a dream of fame or whatever. It's actually something much, much bigger. And I think that's where we start this morning is with a challenge that sometimes our dreams are really, really small. 
See, Paul says, I got a dream for you guys, and it's, and it's a God-sized dream. It's huge. So we often dream way too small. Matter of fact, if we just think about the American dream for a minute, the American dream, what, what's the American dream, the average American dream? It's spoken by every parent to every teenage kid on the planet. They say what? You got to get good grades, or you got to be really, really good and excellent in sports. Why? So you can go to a good college. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can make a good living. Why? So you can have some things like a house or a car. Not, not massive things, just, just decent things and a decent house and a decent car and a, a de- decent 55-inch screen TV and, and stuff, right? Why? Why? So you can uh, have a family, have a decent family, a nice family. Uh, why? So you can save up some money with that family over time. Why? <clears throat> so that you can retire eventually. And live, live the dream, relax, and enjoy it. Now, that's not a bad dream. I, I don't think that's evil or that there's things that are wrong with it. I'm just not sure that it's a biblical dream. And it certainly isn't big enough to be God's dream for us. It's like God's dream is huge. And the American dream, for all of its pieces, if you love it or hate it, it doesn't matter. But it's so, so small. The American dream is so, so small. God's got this huge, massive dream that he dreams for us. And I think it's what Paul's communicating in Philippians chapter 2. This is what he says as he moves on in verse 2. He says this concept. He says, make my joy complete. In other words, like finish what you've been, you've been making me so excited. I'm so encouraged to see what God's doing in you and with you and through you. It's like, just this is the dream I have for you. And I think it's a fair way to put that, make my joy complete, to translate it to this is the dream I have for you. Like this is how I see it when I see it in my mind's eye. He says this. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul begins to paint the picture of this dream. And he paints this picture using words like togetherness, selflessness, humility. This is... This is very different than the American dream. The American dream says, I got to get what's mine because nobody else will look out for me. I got to pay attention to right here because, because, because if I don't, nobody will. I got to get what's mine. The American dream says, I am special and unique and valuable and important. The American dream says, I need to make my opinion heard because I'm special and unique and valuable and important. And the American dream in social media in particular says, I'm going to make it heard loud from the privacy of my own home or bedroom or bathroom or wherever I have my computer. I'm going to make it loud because I'm so unique and important that people need to, deserve to hear me. The American dream is based on me and my individualism. And yet, and yet Paul and Jesus begin to paint this picture of, of God's dream that's so much bigger and he uses words like togetherness selflessness, humility. I'm not wired to live God's dream. Like, I'm just talking about me. I'm not talking about you. This is just, maybe you're the same as me, but but like togetherness, selflessness, humility, like those are not my natural tendencies. I'm I'm much more wired to to live the American dream. Like, Like, I think, my opinion matters. I think that I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I think that I'm really smart. I think that what I, 
what I say, what I think, you, you need to hear that. And so how in the world do I live God's dream for me if it's beginning to paint the picture of selflessness and humility? How in the world do I, do I, do, I do that? Where do I go to figure that out? What book do I read? What food do I eat? What medication do I take? What haircut do I get? What clothes do I put on? That, that, that I could figure out how to live God's dream for me, that I could make that happen. And, and you know what the answer is for Chris Carter? There's no hope. <laughs> I don't, we're laughing a little, and I don't know if that's uncomfortable, nervous laughter, or someone's relating to that. But for me to figure out how to live Jesus' dream for me, like there's no chance. I can't, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I can't force myself to do that i can't make that happen so let's pray and go home and this will be a really encouraging message right no but but we got we we got a little bit more verse five i think paul begins to bring it home for us and verse five is such to me this sentence was the the one that landed at me all week long as i was beginning to think through this and try and figure this out and understand this in verse five paul says this he says in your relationships with one another have the same attitude of mind that christ jesus had your relationships with Jesus have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. Now, there's a challenge here because we, we read that and, and immediately we see the fact that it doesn't seem to be a choice. It seems to be much more like a command. It says, have this mind. Have this attitude of mind. Not when it's convenient or if it makes you feel good or if it matches your dreams and hopes or if it works out for you, but it's just a really simple command of have this mind. The fun part about this sentence is that if you read this in different translations of the Bible, ESV, Message, King James, NASB, whatever, you get pretty quick that they struggled to figure out exactly how to translate what seemed to be a really simple sentence. Because a couple translations give this indication that not, not only is it a command, but it's something you already have. So they say, you're going to have this attitude of mind which you already have in Christ Jesus. They lean heavily to this concept that this living the dream, this attitude, this change of mind, this attitude of mind is already yours in a relationship with Jesus. So when I say I can't make myself, I can't force myself, I can't dress myself, feed myself, think myself, read myself into figuring out how to do this, it's interesting, Paul Paul says, you know what, it's it's already yours. Like in in this relationship with Jesus that you have, this reality is yours already to have this attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. If we pause right there for a second, I just want to tell you a story. I think it makes some sense. But um, I'm in a, um, a kind of a new phase of life right now, some things that I'm doing in ministry. I'm, I'm doing this uh, coaching ministry. It's not sports coaching because that would be embarrassing to any team that I would coach. But um, it's like a ministry uh, coaching, uh, helping people think through problems and issues. And, and I get the privilege of meeting with these ministry leaders. And, and um, the type of coaching that I'm doing, it's not advising it's not telling them what to do. It's not, it's not me going, hey, oh, this is how you should do it, because that would be a disaster. But, but all I do, it's so fun. I get to meet with them, and, and all I do is ask good questions to help them think about their ministry or problem or issue or obstacle from a different perspective. I use the phrase raising awareness. All I do, because what we so often do is we kind of get stuck in our thinking patterns. Like we tend to think through problems the same way over and over again. We tend to deal with people the same way over and over again. We tend to run up against situations kind of the same way over and over again. And we get stuck in this rut. And so often, in order to solve it, you just have to have a conversation, good questions that bump you out of the rut. So you're thinking about it this way. Am I making any sense at all? 
for, for, for a few of us would get it. And then that conversation eventually bumps you down this way. And all of a sudden you've got all these new opportunities for solutions and, and, and problem solving and, and creative movements and whatever. The point being, it's a really fun conversation to have with people to ask good questions to help. How do you get a different perspective? The analogy that we use is uh, when we talk about it, we talk about uh, being on a path or in a journey or in a rut. My, my wife and I uh, picked up cross-country skiing. I don't know why. She wanted to. That's why. She wanted to, so I do cross-country skiing. Um, and it's interesting because uh, we were out last week out at Birchfield uh, Park, and it's cool out there because they have these little ruts. You know what I mean? Like these skis. Anybody done this cross-country skiing? It makes sense to five of us. Okay. So you're in this rut, and, and it's cool because you, don't, you, you just go where the rut tells you to go. It's fantastic, actually. So when the hill goes down, you just uh, you try and balance because you're just going down the hill. You're already in the rut. That works great for cross-country skiing, but not so great if we're trying to think because we tend to think in the same, you're with me, right? It's interesting because I think this is what Paul's talking about when he says in verse 5, he says, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. Matter of fact, Paul uses the same exact phrase uh, in a letter to a different church in Romans chapter 12. In verse 2, this is what he says. He says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same phrase for mind there, the way you think of yourself, the way you view stuff, how you approach stuff, how you think, the attitude of your mind. He said, that's what you guys need, church. He says, you've got to have a renewing of that. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This change of perspective, this fresh mind, this attitude of your mind, Paul says, that's the ticket here. That's the concept of living the dream. That's where it begins. He says you've got to have this same attitude of mind, this this change of attitude of mind, the same one that Jesus had, and Jesus becomes our model in verse 6. He says this. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient and even obedient to death on a cross. This this, this model, this this picture of what a different mindset is. Instead of me and and my dream, it's this this God-sized dream that's much bigger. And if I were to try and write it out, this is kind of how I would at least see it. This is how I would write out what I think Paul is saying here. I'd say this, knowing the truth of who I am in Christ, this causes me to choose humility because it's about what Jesus has done for me and nothing that's great in myself. That allows me to choose being a servant because that's the right role for one so indebted, which naturally leads to obedience to God out of love for him. That makes sense? It's up there. You're seeing it, right? Knowing the truth of who I am in Christ, it causes me to choose humility because it's about what Jesus has done for me and not about my greatness. That allows me to choose the perspective of being a servant because it's the right role for one so indebted, which naturally leads to obedience to God out of love for him. See, for, for a long time, I think churches or Christians or whatever, we've gotten this concept that uh, Jesus' dream for us is uh, just to do what he says, like to obey, like to just follow the rules. And, and I'm, I'm for following rules, and I, and I do think we, we, we want to obey Jesus. I think that's important. But it's all about the, 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 the heart. It's all about the motivation. It's about why we do that. See, if, if, if I'm a Christ follower and I just obey Jesus because I got to follow the rules so that Jesus doesn't squash me or so that he'll give me a, a nickel or so he'll show up or not pay attention to me, whatever it is you want, like if that's why I follow the rules, 
Like, that's missing it. That's like a dream that's so small. It's not a God-sized dream. Like, God-sized dream is, yes, it's going to land in this concept of obedience to Jesus, but it's all about because what other option is there? Like, like who, who else would I be able to be knowing who I am in Christ and all that he's done for me and all that I am in him? How phenomenal that is. Like, what are my other choices but to lovingly obey? Are you, are you with me? Does this make sense at all? It's like a whole different mindset. It's not about following the rules because I don't want Jesus to squash me. <laughs> it's about, man, I love this Jesus who loved me so much. What other option would there be to, to even begin to say, Jesus, I love you, then I'm, I'm going to do, do life the way you say. I want to I love you. I want to talk about you. I want to share you. I want You're with me, right? This idea of a different mindset, a different attitude in our mind. And so then... And then, and, then, and then we look at what, what Paul does here as he talks about how that worked out for Jesus in verse 9. He says, therefore, because of all that stuff, this, this serving and humility and, and all that Jesus modeled for us in terms of what this dream could look like, he says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't strive for fame. He didn't live for comfort. His dream wasn't success or satisfaction or joy. He lived out humility, service, and obedience. And in the end, he got all these other things as well. And so the question is, if, if we were to live that kind of dream... Like, how would that work out for us? And I got to say, why would it be any different? Like, like, for example, if instead of striving for fame or striving for comfort or striving for success or striving for retirement, what if we lived in humility and service and obedience? It, it, it seems to me if God saw fit, he would provide those other things as well. Or maybe because my perspective is different, some of those other things just simply no longer matter, Right? And so I'm thinking this through, instead of striving for those things, what would living the dream look like if I had a different thinking pattern on it? Rick and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, trying to flush this concept out a little bit, and I wrote down what he said because I thought it was interesting. And he said it like this. He said, living the dream, Jesus was so concerned about others, about unity, that, that Jesus poured himself out. That's what being a disciple looks like. That makes some sense. Like Jesus was so concerned about others, so concerned about unity, he, just, he poured himself out. That's what being a disciple looks like. So in probably two months, Becca will probably go off to college. She'll move and she'll move away and do that. And, and odds are Becca will probably, at least for a few months, study psychology and then change her major ten times like most freshmen, right? I know. And, uh, and at some point along the way, probably she'll have some fantastic experiences in school. And my hunch is that she'll probably meet a boy who at some point hopefully is a man <laughs> and will. Uh, there's a difference between boys and men, by the way. And, and, um, and, and he'll take, uh, you know, my place in her life as kind of the one man for her. And, and, and that's probably all good stuff. But to be honest, none of that is Jesus' dream for Becca. Like if Becca goes to, she's thinking maybe Cornerstone, maybe Spring Arbor. If Becca goes to either of those schools, that, that's not Jesus' dream for her. And if, and if Becca studies psychology, and let's just say she makes it all the way through, and that's actually what she does, and, you know, ta-da, and whatever, that's, that's not necessarily God's dream for her. And Becca's going to have fantastic experiences at school, stuff she'll never have the opportunity to do again, and that's really not God's dream for her. 
And probably, you know, she'll meet a guy, a man, and, and they'll get married and have 47 kids. And I said that in first service, and Becca went, <gasps> and, and uh, who knows what, you know, what will happen there. But honestly, none of that is, is really God's dream for her. Those are small dreams. God's dream, Jesus' dream for Becca and for me and for the Philippians, and, and I think for you, is no matter where you go or what you do, that you tackle it with the mind of Christ that you have this attitude that Christ had and modeled for us. So all of those other things are fantastic and good and wonderful, and yet at the end of the day, it's all about having the same mind of Christ. I would write it like this, that I would know who I am in Christ, which allows me to choose humility, which causes me to serve, which allows me to be obedient to Jesus, which is the definition of someone who's moving toward a life fully devoted to Christ. And that's living the dream. So here's how I want to finish today. I want to read Philippians 2 one more time. I want to read it in the message version of the Bible because sometimes that translation just has such a different perspective. And so I just want to read it from that and then we're going to sing a song and then we're going to be done. It's not going to pop up on the screen behind me and so I just ask you to listen and kind of what, what picture is being painted in your head as you hear these words? What does that look like for you? What does that sound like for you, smell like for you, taste like for you? This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. It says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of spirit means anything at all to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. I mean, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to that advantage or that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above and beyond anyone or anything ever so that at all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Christ Jesus and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Amen? If you'd stand on your feet, we're going to sing a song.